A Chinese spy balloon goes down in flames over the Atlantic Ocean because it was shot down by a U.S. fighter jet. Now, not only did that balloon go down in flames, but also Joe Biden's hopes of re-election in 2024. We'll talk about that. And then we'll look at detransitioner Chloe Cole, who just recently testified about the dangers of gender-affirming care. You don't want to miss that. And then we're bringing back an old segment, Bible Study with Democrats. This time, we're looking at the director of the NIH, Francis Collins, and what he has to say about loving your neighbor and the vaccine. We'll look at that and more today on Indie Thinker. Today's show is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. Now, let's say you're moving out of state. Perhaps you live in a blue state where the policies there are dumpster fires on top of dumpster fires, and you're tired of taking your hard-earned money and giving it away in taxes to a state that just then takes your money and throws it directly into the garbage can. And so now you're looking for greener pastures, and you're looking for freedom in red states across America. And I can think of no better company to help you get a great new home loan than our friends over at the Kevin Blair team at Element Home Loans. But you need to go to kbmtg.com to see what they can do for you. But I can guarantee you this, not only will they give you great customer service, but they're also going to provide you the kind of service that is free from gimmicks, lies, and tricks. Now it's all over the mortgage industry, especially now as people are hard up to try to get customers. But you'll never find that with the Kevin Blair team. They only give you great customer service and they give you integrity. So in order to see that, go to kbmtg.com today and let them know that AnyThinker sent you. Welcome to the show. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Now, hopefully you'll find some independent thinking on the show, as the name of the show suggests, but you'll also find some uh, middle school uh, education here. Now, you're probably familiar with Newton's third law of motion, which you probably learned in middle school, and that is that with every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. You jump in the pool, and the water splashes back out of that pool. So there is a reaction to the things that happen. There are repercussions to the things that happen in, in this world. And I think right now we're on the precipice of seeing that very thing because today's show is dedicated to the backlash that is coming for the left, not only in 2024, but right now. Because as they say, it's payday someday and there's a major payday coming for Joe Biden in 2024. So no, the red wave didn't happen like Republicans thought it would uh, in the midterms, but a red house did happen and already they're working hard to undermine the radical nature of the White House. And in 2024, when DeSantis demolishes Joe Biden's frail and feeble mind and body, we'll see the culmination of four years of failing policy, failing economy, and the worst foreign policy of a generation. If all that weren't enough to get him laughed out of the White House, his recent dealing with a Chinese spy balloon should be enough to put the nail in the coffin. DeSantis or Trump could run on this debacle alone and win. In a debate, all the, they would have to say is Chinese spy balloon every time they were asked a question. So for those of you who don't know, um, China sent a Chinese spy balloon into the United States with cameras to look down upon uh, military installations and to look at places where we have weapons. Now, this Chinese spy balloon was sent stealthily across U.S. airspace. And by stealthily, I mean slowly floating across the United States in such a way that people could look up in the sky on a clear day and say, hey, guys, do you see that balloon up there? 
So this balloon first entered America through Alaska and took a gingerly trip through the U.S. spying on military bases and weapon installments until Biden took swift action and gunned it down once it had crossed all of the United States and was in South Carolina and then over the Atlantic Ocean. So basically, it spied upon all that we had in the United States. So what took him so long? We'll ask Jill Biden and she'll tell you the same reason that it takes Joe Biden forever to pee in the morning is the reason it took him so long to finally act on this balloon. But really, I think we all know what this is really about. The reason it took him so long to shoot down this balloon is cowardice, impotency, and incompetence, or what the modern left calls their foreign policy, appeasement. Now, appeasement is this idea that we must convince our enemies to like us rather than to convince them that there are consequences for their acts of aggression. Sure, you're going to hear that they needed to shoot this balloon down safely um, and they needed to minimize any civilian casualties, so they had to wait until it crossed the whole United States to do that. But do you really believe that? It's, it's time for a game of, of what's more likely. So what is more likely? Uh, that there was no place from Alaska where no one lives but polar bears. And I know, Al, you want to protect them. But there was no place from Alaska to South Carolina where this thing could be shot down. Or that Biden is actually a coward and didn't want to ruffle the feathers of China so close to a meeting with the Secretary of State, which is going to take place soon. All that to say, the backlash is coming. Already, states have banned abortion since Rose uh, was overturned, and now 15 states have already severely restricted or gotten rid of gender-affirming care, like places like Utah and Texas and soon-to-be my home state of Tennessee. DeSantis has banned racist CRT training in Florida that's teaching people to abolish the police and abolish the federal prison system, and then teaching people about great organizations that are Marxist like BLM while also conveniently being quiet about any black conservative organizations. So the backlash is coming. But in some ways, this should come as no surprise as we've been on this seesaw between left and right as long as I've been alive. The right wins and then the left wins. And it goes on and on, endlessly pushing us back and forth like a wave of the sea. There has to be something that we can base our society on so that we can get off of this seesaw. Something more powerful than simple political ideology. So here's the real problem with the seesaw. The left is so extremely radical and the media is owned by Democrats, that all we ever hear about is extremism on the right. We largely have no national conversation about what extremism on the left looks like. That means that the left has become increasingly radical and is pushing culture quickly to the edge of the cliff. And whenever we seesaw and swing, we typically just nudge gently back to sanity when the right gets in control, while the left shifts wildly in the opposite direction as we careen slowly and slowly closer to that cliff. More importantly, the second point here is that the problem we face in America, as always, is that it's not a matter of right versus left. It's a matter of right versus wrong. Until we, we as a society decide that the truth matters, we'll keep on fighting this back and forth and not really get anywhere. Many conservatives think that we need the Overton window to shift back our way. But shift to where? To, to, to what time frame? To the 1990s? To the Reagan era? Or even further back than that? How far does it have to go to shift before we realize that we'll find ourselves eventually back in the same spot that we're in now if we don't find solid ground to build our society upon? 
we keep praising diversity of thought and the fact that our nation is a melting pot with people with different ideas while forgetting that diverse thinking is fine, but right thinking is way better. So we have to decide. Are we going to be a society that peddles in reality and roots for reality, or are we merely going to let individualized feelings rule the day? It's no way to build a society. In other words, are we to believe that we're nothing more than accidental collisions of molecules, or will we believe that we were made on purpose and in the image of God? Is the source of truth our personal feeling, or is it rooted in something deeper? Now, some of you who think you've been graced, graced with superior molecules, you've got superior DNA, and you're smarter than thousands of years of history and trillions of people before you, you'll pretend that you can stumble onto the truth with your superior intellect and that you don't need the help of religion and that old dusty Bible on your shelf. But if you're honest on your journey to create your own truth-based principles for life, you'll continue to find a pattern that all the genius truths you come across have actually already been written in the Bible. So to save you just a little bit of time, I'm going to give you a pro tip here. Stop it with your religious bigotry and realize that if you want to hold a society together, that we don't have the time for you to do your soul searching. The truth is necessary and it can be found in Scripture. But still, some of you will go to middle school on me and say, well, if the Bible is so true, how did Noah get all those animals in the boat? And what about dinosaurs? And all I can say to you is, dear child, it's clear that you don't think rationally about much. But if you should decide to think about this and save yourself a lot of time and us, you can meet me at the center of the seesaw where reason and faith meet, which is what we're going to try to do in our top stories today. All right, so part of the backlash that is definitely coming is coming in the form of rebelling against gender-affirming care and the lies that the left has been peddling about this very thing. And one of the lies that I can't wait to just go down in flames is the lie that you can either have a live son or a dead daughter. And somebody that's at the forefront of fighting this very bravely is a, is a young girl named Chloe Cole, who is 18 years old. And already, since she started back at 13 years old, transitioning to become a boy, has figured out the error of her ways. Now, she was just recently um, at the rally to end childhood mutilation with Matt Walsh, and she was on the Jordan B. Peterson podcast, by the way. I'd highly recommend you checking out the Jordan Peterson podcast with Chloe Cole. It is gut-wrenching. It will bust your heart into a million pieces because Chloe Cole, as I have already described, is a detransitioner. She regrets everything that she has done in her, in her journey to transition, and she is paying the price for it in a multitude of ways. Now, I want to be really clear before I show a clip of her because there are some people from time to time who are trans who do stumble upon my show and then live to regret it. But I want to assure you, if you are watching and you are trans or you're in the LGBTQ uh, community of Alphabet Soup, I want to I want to just encourage you that, yes, I understand that there are plenty of people who have stories who say that transition has helped them. However, what we're going to be talking about today is not the detransitioners versus the transitioners and who is right, but rather we're going to push aside the, the feelings of whether the detransitioner feels better now that they're no longer transitioning or the transitioners, whether they feel better now that they are transitioned. We're going to push that all to the side, and actually we're just going to look at some basic facts here about 
what transitioning actually does to people so that we can be really, really honest about this. And that's what Chloe Cole gives us in the most gut-wrenching and honest way she possibly can. So just recently she was testifying in Utah um, and she was testifying because of a bill that was just passed in Utah that banned the the quote-unquote gender-affirming care being done in minors. So thankfully Utah found its backbone because not so long ago the governor refused to sign a bill that would limit men uh, competing in girls' sports because he didn't want to be uh, he didn't want to be accused of being a transphobe, a phobe, or an ist. You know the 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 two things that the left is so great at doing today, trying to demonize their opponents. Now he refused to do that, but thankfully he found his backbone and just recently signed a bill to to eliminate all gender affirming care in minors. Now, we don't need to stop there, and here's some of the reasons why, as we listen to Chloe Cole's tear-jerking testimony about what gender, quote-unquote, gender-affirming care has done for her. Here's that. I'm here today to tell you about what has essentially been my own personal hell, which most people would refer to as a childhood. Before I get to that, I want to briefly mention a few things I noticed at the SB16 hearing last week. I feel deeply for the parents who have children who are struggling with gender dysphoria. My parents also made the mistake of trusting medical professionals as well. My mom and dad sought a solution for my distress, just as any parent should, and I blame the ideologues peddling the pseudoscience and not the parents. All right, so already I want to stop right there. And, and, and this idea of trusting your medical professionals, this is something we hear from the John Sturts of the world to uh, the politicians of the world. Whenever anybody comes on to speak about the dangers of gender-affirming care, this is always what we hear, this appeal to authority. Trust the experts. We're going to get to this in a little bit with Francis Collins as well. But uh, I don't know how many times we have to go back and realize that the experts were either lying or didn't know what in the world they were talking about or just merely giving us their best impression as the facts that, as they have them and in the moment before we finally say, sure, experts are great and they have their place and we should listen uh, to what they have to say as long as we can root what they're saying in common sense and reality and as long as we realize that, by the way, expert doesn't mean sinless or perfect. Expert just means maybe you know your stuff in your field, but you don't know everything and you could be wrong. And by the way, any expert that doesn't admit that they might be wrong about something, you probably should be pretty, pretty, you know, skeptical about in the first place. But I'm reminded of the Russell Crowe movie back in 1999 called The Insider, which of course is about a man that has all of the inner knowledge of what's going on with big tobacco and how they have lied about how tobacco and nicotine and cigarettes cause cancer in the people that smoke them. Now, prior to this, there were no warning labels on cigarettes. You could buy them at at will. Of course, you had to be of a certain age, but but there was no linkage between addiction and no linkage between cancer and cigarettes at the time. And so, of course, now that's changed. There's a warning label on every single pack. And the reason is, is that this story, which tries to portray some things that happened in real life, uh, is, is telling us the story of how big tobacco used much of their funding to try to lobby to make sure that they could sell their wares without any issues whatsoever. Fast forward into the present, and now we have Big Pharma trying to sell us 
not only plastic surgeries that cost tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars, but also puberty blockers that cause brittle bones and cause people to lose sexual function and cause people to have heart issues and osteoporosis, among, among other things. Now we have a whole industry with a financial incentive motive that are called experts, intended to keep us quiet while we let their expertise roll on cutting off the healthy sex organs of children and adults. So this idea of expertise has to be offset with the financial motives of the people that are involved, or else we're not actually having a real conversation. We're just being told to shut up. Now, I, as a Christian, am very used to this tactic because this is what's been happening for years in, in, uh, with the Christian right. You're too, you, you're too judgy and you don't need to uh, be hypocritical because you've got sin in your life too, as though the existence of sin in my life or the fact that I am pointing out sin in others' lives is somehow a, a factor that should keep me from being honest about the facts on the ground. All of this is either an appeal to authority or simply an attempt to try to shut people up so that they don't begin asking questions. At the end of the day, here's the point, is you can ask yourself one question that never ceases to be one of the most important questions you can ask about anything in life. Where is the money? Show me the money. What's the financial motive? And the fact that we're willing to believe people that have a financial invested interest in making sure that children and adults don't ask any questions about lopping off their healthy sex organs is unconscionable. It's obvious that we should be asking questions, and the idea of experts should not push us away from asking questions. Like the next thing we'll hear her say, which is, by the way, what I already said is a pet peeve, so listen to this. I left a letter to my parents on the living room table explaining to them that I am no longer their daughter, and instead, I am their son. They had no idea what to do. They loved me and they wanted to support me. So they did what most parents would do when their child is suffering from a mental health problem. They sought me professional help. And that was the biggest mistake that they made and many parents make around the world. These were not doctors, but liars. I was not suicidal. My doctors didn't hesitate to coerce them into medicalizing me with cross-sex hormones, citing faulty suicide statistics that don't sound like anything statistic, scientific. They asked them a very simple question. Would you rather have a living son or a dead daughter? Yeah, so, so this is the thing that, that drives me insane here. This is nothing more than blackmail and extortion. Would you rather have a living son or a dead daughter? Because very often, the people who talk about this thing, they're not going to quote you statistics, and not real statistics, because frankly, there aren't a whole lot of them, because we just now started experimenting on kids as guinea pigs. So they won't talk to you about about statistics and things like that, what they will actually do is they will use tricks like, would you rather have a living son or a dead daughter? Now, this, of course, is meant to emotionally blackmail people into making a decision that is not in their best interest. So whenever stats are typically um, given on this thing, they're, they're typically obfuscated or the full story is not really given or this emotional tactic is used. Now, this emotional tactic is understandable because 
people are fallen creatures. But when we're talking about children especially, that's when we have to draw the line somewhere, which is where we get kind of to the the heartbreaking aspect of Chloe Cole's uh, testimony and her story. And we're going to hear when she first started to transition at 13 years old right here. I was referred to an endocrinologist who didn't want to put me on blockers because he was worried about how it would affect my brain development. My so-called gender specialist simply referred me to another who would immediately affirm and prescribe blockers and cross-sex hormones when I was only 13 years old. This endocrinologist asked a 13-year-old girl, are you aware that you may experience atrophy of the vagina and that these treatments may affect your ability to have children as an adult? As of a 13-year-old girl, could possibly imagine what she'd be agreeing to. I didn't understand that this decision would permanently impact my overall health. The puberty blockers left me feeling dead inside, and I could not wait to get off of them. It's basically menopause for children. Now, the reason I wanted to show this is not just to bring us to the starting revelation that this is happening for 13-year-olds, but also because of this argument I hear a lot, uh, which is that, you know, free will demands that we be able to allow people to do these kind of things. While, of course, the age of consent is not an excuse for driving drunk in a car or killing your friend no matter how annoying they are. So the age of consent does not mean that we get to do whatever we want. Like 18 isn't a magic number that then means, okay, now you're free to absolutely cut your arms off and your body parts off and there is no limitations to that whatsoever. So there are people who are not thinking for themselves yet on this issue. Now, um, this is true of adults. The age of consent does not mean and or this idea of free will mean that we can participate in every act of immorality that we could possibly conceive of just because we're 18. Obviously, that's ridiculous. Now, how much more when we find ourselves doing this in the mind and in the head of a 13-year-old. Chloe Cole is great because she's showing us that, that this is not only happening, but she's reminding us of something that we've completely forgotten in the modern era, apparently, which is a 13-year-old does not have the power of consent. Consent is a lie for kids at that age. They have no idea what they're consenting to. In fact, 13-year-olds are much more likely to do the logical fallacy of something we've kind of already illustrated before, which is why these experts are doing it. They are far more likely to defer to expertise because they'll hear the, the person that is trying to shove these uh, gender-affirming care puberty blockers down their throat say, this will help you with your depression. Um, and very rarely, even if they do give the side effects. Now, even if they do give the side effects, here's what will happen. And very rarely give you the side effects. But even if they do give you the side effects, what 13-year-old truly understands the decision they're making in the moment? I don't know if you remember being 13, but you were probably pretty impulsive as a 13-year-old, as most people are. And so when you hear, it will give you heart issues, it will cause you pain. You may never ever be able to have sex again. You may have uh, uh, bone issues, heart issues, in any number of things. Blindness, which the FDA just released, especially if puberty blockers are started in kids of a certain age. Now, they hear these things and then they look to their parents, who very often are trying to get virtue cred points on social media, and they hear them say, it'll be okay, honey. And then they hear the doctors do these things, and, and it doesn't register to them because 13-year-olds do not have the capacity to truly understand what they are doing. And this is the heartbreaking thing of this all.
is we have these adults who are bringing their five-year-old before us and testifying that when they were five years old, they knew that they were a boy or a girl, contrary to that stupid birth certificate that was given to them that designated them as a boy or girl by their biological sex. So the heartbreaking nature of this is really fully on display as we look at one last thing that Chloe Cole said during her time testifying, and here's that. No sex hormones for a girl who was several years into puberty, in my experience, was abusive. I was a shell of my happy self. It was excruciating, and the activists that want to do, do this to kids have no idea what it feels like. Testosterone felt much better because it's a very stimulating and powerful hormone. It felt good, and I felt strong. Many refer to this as gender dysphoria, but mostly it was the testosterone. I still don't know if I'm fertile. I wore a compression device called a chest binder for about two years. It compressed my breast into my ribs so hard that I had permanent dents in my rib cage. So I wanted to share this last bit with you because I hope these words ring in your heart and in your mind. I still don't know if I'm fertile. So this young lady does not know if she will ever be able to have kids. Now, do you think you can truly cut off the nose of nature and not spite your face? As the Bible says, you really think you can take fire into your bosom and not be burned? Is, is there not a repercussion for this kind of thing when we try to stifle the natural instinct inside of a woman to create and produce children? And now this young lady does not know if she will ever be able to have kids ever again. And then this last thing that she said that, that I thought was just eye-opening. It's certainly not the worst of all of the things that we're doing to, to kids and to adults in gender-affirming care. But it, but it does paint the picture of even the minor things that we often take for granted that are happening with these people, which is why I'm so glad Chloe Cole is speaking up because she's a voice for the voiceless right now. Because there's so many people who are recognizing all of the things that Chloe's illustrating to us, but are too afraid to speak out because of the backlash. But the thing that she says there, that, that, a, that is a minor thing, but also something that we should remember, is the, is the permanent dance on her chest from having a chest binder before she had her healthy breast chopped off as a young girl that she will ever forever have because of that chest binder she'll ever have dents and compression in her rib cage because she was wearing this compression um this compression bra when she was a young girl and her bones were still malleable and still forming and in that process these wicked people who create these wicked torture devices that smash the breasts of young girls against their chest so that it doesn't look like they have boobs um, are also causing permanent damage to the rib, cage, rib cages of these young girls. Now, I want to step back and just say this. I realize that there are people, and even people in my own family, who have gone through gender transition, that have gone through quote-unquote gender-affirming care, and are early enough on in the process where they think that this has been life-changing for them, salvific, if you will. will. I'm still skeptical as to whether or not they're just in denial and really just saying that because they feel like they have to or if it actually has been um, really emotionally fulfilling to them. But I will just tell you this. There is inevitably a, a, time, a time frame in which you will feel like it's the best thing you've ever done, perhaps, or will be glad that you made that decision. But statistics do tell us, at least at this point in time, that suicide rates are higher in transitioned kids and adults seven to ten years than at any other time prior to their transition or 
just after their transition, seven to 10 years, the suicide rate is at its highest. And so here's what I can say. Whatever small euphoria you might genuinely experience after this, and I'm willing to admit that perhaps that's true. Perhaps you do feel like you've done something great. Perhaps you you get those pats on the backs on social media, and it's it's enough to to satiate you temporarily, but it's not something that will ultimately find fulfillment in your life in the long run. So the question is, is that what point in time does this ticking time bomb finally go off? And speaking of ticking time bombs, I want to show you a quick clip of some churches that have been either vandalized or destroyed since Dobbs. Now, you're not going to hear this on the mainstream media, so I wanted to share this with you here. So in our second story, I wanted to share that with you. So here's a clip of some of these churches who have been vandalized and or destroyed. Rage from pro-abortion activists is not just contained to the steps of the Supreme Court. It's sadly spreading all across the country. Since the Dobbs leak, nearly 30 pregnancy centers have been attacked. Since 2020, over 100 churches have been either attacked or vandalized. Many of these attacks can be attributed to the group Jane's Revenge, who recently said, we have demonstrated how easy and fun it is to attack. Now our measures may not come in the form of something so easily cleaned up as fire or graffiti. It's open season. Through attacking, we find joy and courage. In some instances, people have interrupted mass. Women have stripped during church services. Most tragically, some pro-abortion people have gone so far as to break or steal tabernacles and remove... Now, for those of you who don't recall, the Dobbs decision was released in June of 2022. So not even a year later, 115 churches have been demolished, destroyed, or vandalized by people who are angry about this decision. Now, the real question at the end of the day is... Obviously not why is this happening, because there's a death cult in America that wishes to make sure at all cost that um, uh, that that babies are, are aborted. But the question is, is why is the media not actually shining a light on any of these acts of violence? Um, and more importantly, to those who are in the pro-life community, I would just say this. But the more important thing here, I think, is to those who are in the pro-life community and for those who are Christians out there to make sure that you guys understand this. Whenever these kind of things are happening, it means that we are on the right path. It means that we're actually making progress. This is the first and only line of defense for those who are in the culture of death is they must scream their heads off to make sure that we stay as far back as possible because on the other side of their vandalism and on the other side of their screaming and their blue hair actually is great victory. I can't remember a time where the church was under such kind of threat from from the outside world, from from the culture, as we are in the present. And I can't help but wonder if that isn't because the church is actually operating as it should have been all along, not merely trying to fill butts and seats, but actually taking ground for, for, for God and for life. And because we are now, we're actually becoming a threat once again. So I guess I would put it in these terms. Persecution may actually be a good sign a sign that we're on the right path, a sign that we're actually making a difference once again. And so, as the early disciples did in the 
book of Acts and the early apostles, we should rejoice that we are being counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. So all of this should be great news to all of us. It's a little bit shocking that the news media is not talking about it, but honestly, what can we expect from a bunch of reprobates? More importantly, what we, what we should be doing is celebrating the fact that once again, the church is on the rise and the counterculture is happening. The backlash is starting to take place. The church is starting to take their place in culture. Not only are we making a difference with things like the Dobbs decision um, finally coming down, but also on so many other fronts that are too many to to name, but enough to say this, that right now we're going to see the backlash where the blue-haired radical feminist that is holding a poster of an aborted fetus and saying, this is my choice, um, that kind of radicalism is slowly but surely going to become vomit-inducing for people, and the new cool thing will be to actually be an orthodox kid that's holding his Bible and bringing that to school. That's going to be the new radical. And slowly but surely, we're starting to to see that as the church gains cultural ground, um, uh, especially in the post-Dobbs era. And now I want to go to our third and final story, and we're going to bring back a segment called Bible Study with Democrats. Oh, God of Pronouns. All right, so you guys will remember Francis Collins, who is a professing Christian and the guy who mapped the human uh, genome uh, and uh, obviously a fantastic scientist, a very brilliant man, and was also the director of the NIH during all of the COVID uh, lockdown uh, scenarios. And he also was on multiple different Christian programs, including Ed Setzer's, uh, among others, to try to encourage Christians to be the first at the line at Walmart to get the jab. So now Francis Collins was just recently back in action, baby, so that he could tell us all how much it is important for us to get the vaccine. So here is that. I think people of faith may be trying to find where's a credible place to look to get those answers. Just one place I would say, Curtis Chang, who's a pastor, has done a whole series of videos uh, on Christians and the vaccine. People really ought to have a look at that. They're very well done. They're based on the facts. He deals with a lot of the information that's out there that are scaring people and tries to really put the truth into the picture. And as a pastor, somebody who believes in the truth, the truth will set you free. That's what Jesus said. Now, how do you like that? The truth will make you free. And the truth in this case is the truth that Francis Collins is sharing. Now, the reason that we have some reason to be skeptical about whether or not Francis Collins is actually sharing the truth with us is that we know better now. And what we were saying at the very beginning that common sense told us, even though the experts were telling us something different, is that the vaccine is good. And if you're older, perhaps it's a it's a good risk assessment to take it because of the comorbidities of, of COVID and all of the like. But if you're a healthy young person, there's probably no reason whatsoever to get a vaccine and that natural immunity is better than vaccine immunity and that you can still get covid with the vaccine, which we're now hearing more and more and more all the time, how much of these things that we were told back in the day are total fabrications and total lies. So it's interesting when I hear Francis Collins say the truth, I hear completely fabricated lies, or more importantly, what you knew at the time, which is fine. But I, I think rather than talking about the truth and how much we love people, and that's if we love people, we would get a vaccine, we, we might need to have a different conversation. And that could be 
a conversation, perhaps, let's say, about repentance. Now, I know we don't like that word anymore. We've changed it to maybe just uh, turn over a new leaf in your life. But this is time for a conversation about repentance, right? Because what actually Francis Collins should be doing is apologizing to the Christian world for getting in bed with Big Pharma and getting in bed with people like Fauci and using the Christian church as a tool of the state to try to impose his vaccine um, propaganda. More importantly, let's just step away from the whole vaccine thing for a moment um, so that we don't get demonetized on YouTube. And let's just say this, that the truth, as always, has absolutely nothing to do with this man, a vaccine, or even the propaganda that he tried to impose upon us during COVID lockdowns. The truth is always, and according to Jesus, has to do not with medical science as much as it has to do with something much more deeper rooted in the human heart, the truth of our existence and what we're here for. Now, this is obviously what Jesus was talking about when he was saying, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Oddly enough, Jesus wasn't talking about getting a vaccine. I know that will come as a shock to most of you, but when Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free, he was always talking about believing that there is a God and believing that that Jesus is that God and believing that salvation is necessary for mankind because of their fallen nature. These are the much bigger and more important truths that will make you free. And I think it's funny that Francis Collins wants to so quickly hijack the word truth and then use it for his own purposes. But of course, the truth, by the way, is always that thing that offers short-term pain with long-term rewards, like working out. You need to have the short-term pain of working out in order to have the long-term reward of being fit, like with reading and with writing, all things that are sacrificial, especially in our day and age, but often offer great reward on the back end. So, in other words, something that doesn't have a financial incentive motive or something that isn't just merely about influence peddling. So the truth won't be found with Francis Collins, but it can be found in a book called The Bible, but I'm repeating myself again. Now, before you go to the comments section and talk to me about how antiquated the Bible is and how a bunch of uh, stupid shepherds used to uh, used to read it, um, and of course, that's if you don't realize that those stupid shepherds probably knew more languages than, than you do. But before you do that, and before you go to the comments section, do me a favor. Pick up that old dusty book called the Bible, read it, and tell me if you didn't find something life-changing in it. And if you did, then I'd love to hear that down below. But also, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and most importantly, go with God.